righty, what is going on? Welcome to the program. Pete Callender here, News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. We want to welcome back to the program Bill O'Reilly. He is the author of Killing the Killers and the entire Killing series, which is actually the best-selling nonfiction series of all time, 19 million books in print. Welcome back to the show, Bill. How are you? Thanks for having me in, Pete. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So, books going well. I mean, I'd like to think you know you came on the show. Book continues to do uh, continues to do well. Coincidence? Yeah, absolutely, yes. But it's going well. <laughs> you know, I'll come on anytime you need me. Uh, we love WBT. Um, Killing the Kill is number one best selling book in the uh, country. And um, it's Father's Day coming up. I'm doing a second round of promotion. But uh, you guys need me down there. You just give me a toot anytime. Well, and the O'Reilly update, as it's heard right here on WBT, 1145 a.m. Just moments ago, people heard uh, uh, your piece on D-Day, this is this being the anniversary of D-Day and yeah. all. It was uh, really good. I, I, uh, I, I always learn a lot. And I, I was one of the things I actually like, I've been listening to your hits, your, uh, your chats that you do with Glenn Beck for years. And I always enjoy, you guys got great, uh, repertoire. You got a great uh, relationship, it sounds like. And you did tours with him, right? Yeah, in the beginning, um, we did a t- tour a year with Beck, and then Dennis Miller yeah. replaced him because Beck became too successful for us. <laughs> um, uh, I've known Beck a long time. We have a good rapport, but I have to set him straight, Pete. You know that. Yeah. Um, he goes uh, off into conspiracy land every once in a while. Yeah. Um, and we like to keep it fact based here. Uh, on the O'Reilly Update and uh, the No Spin News on television, which you can access on BillOReilly.com. Uh, but Beck is a good guy. I've known him for a long time, and I'm glad you enjoy the uh, byplay. Yeah, absolutely. So, and I want to, I'll circle back to that. Uh, you also had a piece at your website, BillOReilly.com, on the fall of TV news. And uh, you write that most electronic news organizations are frightened of the cancel culture. So, story selection and actual reporting are cautious not bold and creative as they should be. So uh, I guess the first thing I'd, I'd ask is, is this strictly a recent phenomenon, or has this been building for a while in the TV news side of things in the industry? Well, it used to be that the uh, more sensational the story, uh, the more coverage you would get. But that's stopped now um, because the cancel culture has uh, instilled so much fear. So the column I wrote on BillOReilly.com basically laid it out, and I'll give you a tremendous example. This weekend, there were six mass shootings in the USA, six. A mass shooting is defined as, uh, I think it's more than four people being hit by gunfire in one uh, episode. Yeah. So uh, down by you, we had Chattanooga, Tennessee. Up here, you had Philadelphia, on and on and on and on. Well, these shootings were generated by drug gangs most of them. And the perpetrators and the victims were mostly African-American. Well, you're never going to hear that, ever, because the media is so frightened of identifying any criminality as being generated by African-Americans that they simply will ignore it. Now, I'll submit to you, Pete, that these drug gangs that are operating in most inner cities around the country, including Charlotte, are far more dangerous than the individual loons that walk into the schools and kill kids. But because the progressive narrative says, oh, society is ruined by white men, 
That's the progressive narrative. White men have ruined America. That when the criminality comes into the minority precincts, it's ignored. That is a scandal. And the reason that is happening is because the people who run the news agencies are absolutely terrified of being called out as a racist or this. Even the police agencies will not tell you the ethnicity of perpetrators or victims unless they're white. If they're white, they'll tell you, but not minorities. And this is a huge journalistic scandal. Yeah, it's one of the uh, frustrations I have whenever there is a mass shooting. In fact, in Charlotte, we had three shootings, not mass shootings, but three murders just this weekend. uh, And they were all uh, attributable to street violence, which is actually the second largest category of gun deaths. The first being suicides. The vast majority of gun deaths are suicides, like two thirds. And then about a fifth are street violence. And that requires a completely different approach uh, to combating than, say, a mass shooting, particularly at a school, right? These are different. They re- they're different situations requiring different remedies. Uh, but we but we never focus on the largest categories, third being domestic violence. Uh, we, we don't we don't see these uh, focused on in the same way that we see the mass shooting, which is sort of like the plane crash that everybody rushes to to cover. And, and but they're very, very rare. Correct. Um, Look, the gun control debate right now cannot be honestly held until you define the problem. So Mexico has the strictest gun laws in the Western Hemisphere. Did you know that? The only Mm. country stricter is Cuba. You got an illegal gun in Cuba, they may execute you. But Mexico has an amazing amount of laws against carrying firearms. Yet there are more firearms in Mexico, all in the hands of the criminals, the cartels. And that is probably the most violent country in this hemisphere, Mexico. Yet they have these very restrictive gun laws. But now what does it tell everybody? That you can put all the gun control laws you want on the books, but the criminals are not going to be affected. They'll get the guns. So this is such a bogus thing because the media will not tell the truth about it. And the politicians, obviously, don't want to solve the problem. They want to use it for political purposes. Well, and this gets back to now something that you and uh, Beck talked about, uh, I guess, last week. And you said that uh, the president is using the gun violence issue to rescue his presidency. So what did you mean by that? Well, look. The Biden administration's in dire trouble economically. Everybody knows it. Uh, My question to anyone who still supports the Biden administration is, tell me one thing the president has improved in this country in the past 17 months he's been in office. Give me one. And they can't. So if you're Biden, the only hope you have is to demonize your opposition, the Republicans, as being responsible for all the heinous gun crimes. That's what they're trying to do with the help of the media. It's not work. People are getting bankrupted by uh, high energy costs. Inflation is killing the working class. And those people will come out in November and vote against the Democrats. I know they will. But the only hope that Biden has is to try to demonize his opposition. 
So is this a sentiment that's uh, you're up in New York? Is it a prevalent sentiment up in very blue New sure. York? Yeah, of course. Yeah. But in New York, it's a different situation. It's like California. All of the power is concentrated in the hands of the progressive left. Yeah. So New York City dominates the state of New York, much like Charlotte and Raleigh-Durham dominate North Carolina. And in those precincts, they don't care about what works and what doesn't. It's all party politics. But even here, where I am in Nassau and Suffolk County, it's turning red Mm -hmm. because people can't afford to live here anymore. They can't. They're coming down to your state, Pete. Yeah, I know it. From New York. (laughs) They can't live in New York anymore because of the taxes. And it's so dangerous now because they won't enforce the law in New York City that people are going, I'm getting the deuce out of here. And they are. Yeah. Well, and as one who actually did that myself back in 92, I cannot cast stones. Um, so, Bill O'Reilly. ahead of the curve, Pete. I was. I was a man ahead of the curve. That's right. BillOReilly.com is the website. Of course, the book Killing the Killers, The Secret War Against Terrorists, uh, great Father's Day gift idea for the dad that uh, may be hard to get uh, something for. Great book. I read it, and we had uh, Bill on. You can actually pull the old podcast. Also, listen right here on WBT every single weekday to the O'Reilly update at 1145. Uh, Mr. O'Reilly, thanks so much for your time. We appreciate it. Uh, Okay, Pete, let's talk again soon. Thanks for having me in. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Pete Callender here. And uh, if you want to weigh in on any of the topics we're going to cover today on the program, 704-570-1110 or 1-800-WBT-1110. And as always, the email is Pete at thepetecalendarshow.com. Uh, and that's where you can also get the uh, the podcast at thepetecalendarshow.com. It's uh, right there, big fat subscribe button. You click it and then you pick whatever uh, platform you prefer. And then you get the podcast right to your smartphone or tablet as soon as they post up. Commercial free. Uh, so Bill O'Reilly, thanks again uh, for joining the program. I do appreciate it. He does a weekly column at BillOReilly.com, and the last one was the fall of TV news. And he goes over a, a, a lot of different uh, aspects to the the fall of TV news. But one of the things, I've been beating the drum on this for a long time, and so when I saw it, I said, yes, this is it. It's story selection. He mentioned it in his interview moments ago. Story selection in the news departments themselves. How does a story even make its way to air, right? Somebody has to come up with the idea. And I'm not talking about going and covering a press conference. That stuff is your sort of general assignment or if you still even have like beat reporters covering, you know, police or uh, city council or courts or something, right? There's a press conference of some kind. They're going to go cover the press conference. And so you can plan for that sort of thing. But generally you're also, as a reporter, you're required usually to come forward with story ideas. And if everybody in your newsroom has the same political ideology, the same view on society and culture on, you know, what is right, what is wrong, who's oppressed, who are the oppressors, that sort of thing, then you're always going to get the same kinds of stories. There are, there are local news outlets here in Charlotte that I watch and you can tell They have very little ideological diversity in their newsroom because all their stories are told through the exact same ESG prism to pull a term out of Wall Street. 
right? The, uh, the social justice prism. O'Reilly says the result is dull news presentations and avoidance of important stories like inner city gun violence, which we discussed, how drug addiction fuels social disorder and the negative effects of President Biden's open border policy. Cable news is also in decline, he says, because it's very repetitive and overwhelmingly ideological. Preaching to the choir will not attract a wide audience. In general, the predictability of the presentations is stupefying. This is why I've always said content is king. I mean, I haven't always well, I haven't always said it before I heard the term or the phrase. I never said it. Then when I heard the phrase, I said, that makes sense. Somebody else smarter than I said it. And then I was like, I'm totally stealing that. I'm going to keep saying it for a long time. So that's what I've been doing. Content is king or queen. I'm not trying to assign any kind of superiority based on gender. So if you do good work, you will be rewarded. You will get followers. You'll have an audience, all of that. But to his point about the story selection and what we were discussing on the way these stories get, uh, get reported, but which ones get reported, right? Charlotte, over the weekend, three gun deaths. I believe one of them, I think I said earlier, I was mistaken. I think one of them was domestic violence related. And then the other two were street violence related, which makes sense. I mean, they're tragedies, but those are the leading categories for gun deaths in America. Number one is suicide, roughly two thirds of all gun deaths. Number two is street level crime, gang crime, criminal crime, right? Gun deaths. And then the third is, um, Domestic violence, usually man shooting and killing his female partner. The the stats on uh, mass shootings, for example, very, 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 very small, but they get all of this coverage. Why? Because it helps reinforce narratives and advance and amplify narratives that people in those newsrooms prefer. Kevin Williamson had a very lengthy and really, I think, uh, important piece explaining the gun debate. And uh, he breaks down sort of the, 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 the big questions and he answers these big questions like, you know, how important is access to guns? And here's one. Check this out. Americans buy more guns today than they did in the 90s. But violent crime has decreased radically. In those years. Is that something you hear about? News Talk 1110-993-WBT. The number of Americans living in households where there is a gun present, would you think it has gone up or gone down? The number of households... With a gun in the household, you think there are more now than there were in, say, 1973? More now or fewer now? Well, in 1973, 49.5%, so roughly 50%, right, lived in a household with no firearms. So it was half, 50-50. Now, two-thirds of Americans live in households with no firearm. So there are more households with no firearm than there were in 1973. 
a good deal of the increase in the American domestic arsenal has been driven by old white guys, right? Actually, no. Driven by women's acquisition of firearms. They're closing the gap. It was a 40-point spread between men and women gun ownership, and now it's down to 23 points. This is all from Kevin Williamson's piece at National Review, Explaining the Gun Debate is the title. I'm just giving you a couple of the highlights. It's very lengthy, and it's a great resource, lots of links and, and such to go back and find the data that he's citing. He goes on to say that the uh, important variable does not seem to be guns. Americans shoot each other to death at a much higher rate than do citizens of most other countries. That is true. So when you hear people in this debate talk about, oh, no other civilized, uh, civilized nation on earth has this kind of problem, right? We, we shoot each other way more than other countries do. But keep in mind, we also stab each other a lot more. We also beat each other to death a lot more. We burn each other. Yeah, we do a lot more of this stuff to each other than do citizens of other countries. There was a book I read a long time ago, The Rise and Fall of Violent Crime in America. And it was a survey of all sorts of crime stats and expert analysis. And I remember one of the parts that sort of was intriguing to me at the time. I was up in the uh, western North Carolina in the mountains and uh Appalachia has a very high violent crime rate. Why? Don't know. It's what the author said. Don't know. Is it something cultural that came over from uh, Scotland? By the way, you know where the term, and I'm not saying this as a pejorative, but the term hillbilly, you know where that came from? The, the, The people who lived in the hills back in the old country, they were loyal to King William. Billy, right. That's And that population settled much of the mountains, uh, the western North Carolina, and all the way up through the Appalachians. So that's where that, that term came from. So the is there something culturally? And look, I can say this. I, I am mostly Irish. And so uh, the Irish were, not, they don't think twice about getting into boxing matches and such, right? Fighting Irish, although I know where that came from as the clan up in South Bend, Indiana. I get it. But the you know, Irish, Scottish, right? These are th- this kind of fighting to settle one's differences. And so, is that a cultural thing? I don't know. Trying to explain why Americans have higher rates of violent crime and, and murder, there are all sorts of explanations for it. So, yes, we do shoot each other a lot more than other countries do. People in other countries do, but we uh, also kill each other by all sorts of means, more than other people in other countries do. The number of murders committed by Americans armed with nothing more than their bare hands every single year exceeds the number of murders committed by Americans with the so-called assault rifles. The United States has unusually high rates of criminal violence across the board rather than just an unusually high rate of gun-related violence. And so Kevin Williamson says, My conclusion is that the problem with America is not that it is full of guns. The problem with America is that it is full of Americans. And he's not wrong. (laughs) He's not wrong. Um, If you count... up all of the 
uh, all of the rifles used in homicides as a percentage of all homicides, what number do you think that that is? Count up all homicides. How many of them, what percentage are committed with assault rifles or rifles in general, I should say, just all rifles, sorry, all rifles. Two and a half percent. That's less than handguns. But aren't these new rifles way more lethal than the muskets? Williamson says, uh, the figure of the, uh, you've probably seen this on the memes and such, getting spread around the Facebook, which is so against myths and disinformation. Um, there's a, a figure that's, uh, the new rifles are 200 times more lethal than the muskets when the Second Amendment was written. Okay. Um, that figure is based on a fabricated study. Professor Saul Cornell of Fordham University simply made up and then pretended this was part of a 1964 U.S. Army study of battlefield effectiveness of military weapons from the Revolutionary War through Vietnam. Slate.com, having no journalistic standards, continues to pretend that it is something other than a fabrication. The gun control debate is unfortunately full of such intellectual dishonesty on the part, uh, on the part of both journalists and academics. Um, he said, oh, so then what to do? Because you know me, I'm all about solutions. He says both gun control advocates and the NRA support stronger enforcement of straw buyer laws. So this is for people who go out and buy lots of straw. We want to crack down on that. No, I'm kidding. It's straw buyer is where uh, I buy the gun and then give it to you. I'm the straw buyer. Because and I would be buying that because you are legally prohibited from purchasing one yourself. Right. So I go in and I buy it. I'm allowed to buy it. And then I give it and then I sell it off to you. Here's the problem. We don't enforce these laws in most instances. Why? Local prosecutors don't want to try such cases. They don't want them because they involve a lot of sympathetic defendants. Think about it. Girlfriends, grandmothers, nephews, nieces of gang members, career criminals, who use family members as their straw buyer. And that's why most DAs, most prosecutors, don't want to touch these guys because they are deemed a waste of time unless they're part of a bigger, sexier, organized crime investigation. Yeah, do you want to be the one that you know nails grandma over her purchase of the firearm for her grandson, who's a gangbanger, right, who's a, who's a career criminal, can't get the gun himself? What about the girlfriend that's pressured and abused into buying the gun for the criminal boyfriend? Are police and prosecutors also declined in many cases to arrest and prosecute people for violations such as illegal possession of a firearm? A very large share of our murders, more than 80% actually in New York City, are committed by people with prior arrests, often by people with prior convictions. And in a considerable number of cases by people with prior arrests on weapons charges. We keep letting them walk until they kill somebody. See, but even as I say all of this, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. These are not, quote, solutions. This is not part of the problem. The problem is the guns. Just give me your guns. Zealot, you bigot. You just want people to die if you won't give me your guns. That's the level of the debate we are having. And Williamson recognizes this, by the way. 
All right, so palindrome. Palindrome. That's zero res. Spelled the same way backwards and forwards. I think it was also that movie with Mad Max. Welcome to the palindrome or something. Tina Turner was in it. You remember that, Bernie? Welcome to the palindrome? No? Okay. Um, he's a millennial. <laughs> uh, alrighty, so... Oh, yes, I am aware it's not the Palin, it's the Terror Dome. No, the Thunderdome. Sorry, it's the Thunderdome. Anyway, um, Kevin Williamson. Some criminal justice reform advocates worry that more robust enforcement of gun laws would end up being the next war on drugs, resulting in high rates of incarceration and felony convictions that would disproportionately affect young black men. Kevin Williamson says, I think that is the wrong way to think about it. Yes, the population of violent career criminals uh, we would want to target seems to be disproportionately black. African-Americans are about 12.5% of the population, but more than half of those arrested for murder. 12.5% of the population, but more than 50% of those arrested for murder. Is that systemic racism? Are they all wrongfully accused? What Even if you cut that number in half to 25%, that's still a double overrepresentation of the population, right? So, or their proportion of the population, they're 12.5%. They, you would, theoretically, if everybody is committing crime and, and violent crime, homicides, if everyone's committing homicides at the same proportion as they are represented in the population at large, then you would expect to see blacks at 12.5% of the population committing 12.5% of the homicides. Same for whites, right? If whites, and you could even go further and break it down, male versus female. Well, I guess you can't do that anymore. But back in the day, you could break them down by gender. And you would find out that the vast majority of homicides are committed by men versus women. I should have given you a trigger warning. No pun intended. Oh, my gosh. I'm just I'm stepping on all the minefields here. I apologize. Um, this population of criminal element, though. It is a tiny, unrepresentative sample of black America. It's one of these things that always. It it uh, it chafes me. It does. It's like, why do you think that simply identifying certain demographic data automatically impugns all sorts of people that may share a single characteristic because what you're reducing, uh, what you're doing is reducing people down to that single characteristic. And that's kind of racisty, right? In 2018, there were just under 3000 black Americans arrested for murder out of a population of 42 million. That is 0.007% of the black population. 0.007%. White Americans arrested for murder make up about 0.001% of the white population. Right? So there, there is obviously a disparity going on there inside the individual racial demographic categories. Surely there's a way to police weapons violations more aggressively without targeting the whole black community, right? We should keep in mind that black men also make up a disproportionate share of the murder victims, right? So if you're trying to protect black lives, you protect them by prosecuting 
criminals that prey upon black lives. And generally speaking, as I've gone over the data over the years, right, that you are more likely to be victimized by somebody within your own racial category. White on white, black on black, Hispanic on Hispanic. That's the way it usually happens. Williamson concludes, we almost never prosecute people in what are called lie and try cases, meaning cases where people who are prohibited by law from buying a firearm try to do so anyway on the chance, which is not negligible, by the way, but on the off chance that the background NICS system that you have to run people's names through, that that's going to wrongly approve the sale. So they lie on the forms and they try to get background check approval. And sometimes NICS, the, the system, messes up. And sometimes those people get guns. We pretty rarely prosecute people who lie on the paperwork, though. All of which is to say that we lay a pretty heavy regulatory burden upon people who are inclined to follow the law while doing essentially nothing to those who violate the law. These are things that could be done. And that might be more useful than yet another teary-eyed sermon from some tedious parasite seeking political office. These are the things Democrats and other gun control advocates would be pushing for if they were serious about the problem. But they aren't serious. They are not serious about the problem. Which brings me to Charlotte City Councilman Braxton Winston, who spoke out on Twitter after this weekend's rash of deadly shootings in Charlotte. He said, we have to treat each other better as a community. We need a culture of love over violence. So how exactly do you create such a culture? Might there be some rules that people could, I don't know, adopt? 